0: One day, a young man came to Miriam and said, how would you like to play with the great orchestra from Kiev?
1: We kids would jump off the picnic table, run over, hand over four sticky brown pennies and get a half pint wax coated carton of chocolate milk.
2: It's time for the Appleseed. Filled with stories for you and your family. And we're talking about folk tales and fairy tales and personal tales and family tales and historical tales and more. There's nothing like a great story. And this hour we're going to fill with a couple of great personal stories. One of them from uh, Karen Golden, a story called Miriam and the Saxophone. It's going to really resonate with anybody who has had to learn to play a musical instrument as Karen has. And you're going to hear a story called Pied Pipers at the Playground, a story from Dolores Haddock, a wonderful storyteller who herself tells folk tales and fairy tales and historical tales, but also tales of her own life and family that are really a joy to listen to. You're even going to hear a little later on in the hour a little song, a song by the great storyteller Andy Offutt-Irwin. It'll remind you what a great songwriter he is as well as a great storyteller. But we're going to start with that story story from Dolores Hyduck. It's a story that's going to bring back for you memories of activities at the playground in whatever town you happen to grow up in. The story is called Pied Pipers at the Playground. We'll let Dolores set it up. Happy to hear from her here on The Appleseed.
1: Several years ago, I was invited to be a storyteller at a festival in Oklahoma City, where they had an unusual feature in their festival. It was called Finding Your Own Voice. It was an afternoon session, and months before the festival, all four of us tellers were supposed to get in touch with each other and agree on some well-known story, a folktale, a legend, some story everybody would know. And then we were supposed to tell our own 10-minute version of that story in that session. The idea was to show that there is no one way to tell a story, that there are lots of ways to tell even the same story, and every storyteller has to find their own voice. And the story that we agreed on for that festival that year was The Pied Piper, Well, I didn't have to go to the library or go to the internet to find that story. I knew I could find it closer to home. Yeah, let's see. Right there, third shelf, the bookcase there in the living room, volume two of the Childcraft series, Narrative Poems and Creative Verse. And there on page 30 was the beginning of the long poem by Robert Browning. Hamelin Towns in Brunswick by famous Hanover City. The river Weser, deep and wide, washes its wall on the southern side, a pleasanter spot you never spied. But when begins our ditty, more than 500 years ago, to see the townsfolk suffer so from vermin was a pity. And the poem goes on for 10 more pages, telling the story about town, little town in Germany hundreds of years ago, a town that was overrun by... Rats in the houses, rats in the barns, rats in the cupboards, rats in the beds. And the constant screech, 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 screech of the rats was driving people crazy. And the town officials had tried everything but could not get rid of the rats. And one day a stranger appears in a colorful coat, a pied coat. And he tells the town officials that he can get rid of the rats. Anything they say, we will pay you anything. No, no, only what is fair. And they agree on a price that they will pay him to do this thing that no one else has been able to do. And so he steps outside and he lifts his pipe to his lips. It wouldn't be like a flute. It would probably have been like a recorder. And he played a tune, a magical tune, a tune that coaxed the rats out of the houses and out of the barns, coaxed the rats to follow the man down to that river Vaser, deep and wide, and in the rats went into the water. Splish, splash, splish until the rats were gone. And then the man went back to the town officials to collect the money he was owed. But the town officials said, what, what did you do? You played a tune on a pipe? That's not such hard work. That's not worth so much. No, no, no. And they offered him a few small coins. He walked outside. Again, he put his pipe to his lips. Again, he played a magical tune, but a different tune, a tune that this time coaxed the children out of the houses and out of the barns, coaxed the children to follow the man, not to the river, but to a nearby mountain that opened wide and all the children danced inside following the piper and then the mountain closed behind them and they were gone, were never seen or heard from again, all except for one little lame child who couldn't keep up and was left behind to tell the tale. That's the story. That's the legend. And even without reading that 11-page poem, I knew that story pretty well because once I had been the Pied Piper. (laughs) Let's see, where was that? Yeah, that closet in that room, that's the office. There's shoeboxes, yes, newspaper clippings. I knew I didn't have the original, but I had a copy. Ah, Reading, Pennsylvania, from the Reading Eagle newspaper, August 19th, 19... Something, something. (laughs) A 14-year-old brunette danced and talked her way into the hearts of an estimated 800 spectators at the 30th annual City Recreation Department's pageant held in City Park last night. A veteran of nine playground pageants, Dolores Hydock, daughter of Mr. and Mrs. Peter Hydock of 1412 North 11th Street, portrayed the Pied Piper of Hamelin who took the village children away when the mayor reneged on payment of a bill. The script for the pageant, called Wonderland by Night, written by Rosalie Jordan, supervisor of dramatics, strayed from the original tale by incorporating into the performance many other characters. In addition to the Pied Piper, we met Hansel and Gretel, Captain Hook, and several tribes of American Indians. (laughs) The evening's entertainment also included Brent Miller, 13th, son of Mr. and Mrs. Alan Miller of 1148 Spruce Street, who gave a magic demonstration as he portrayed Merlin the Magician from King Arthur's Court, while the goldfish in the city park pond provided fascination for the younger set. Okay. Looking at this with our modern-day, amber-alert, security-conscious kind of eyes, we know this was a much more innocent time than the time we live in now. I mean, for one thing, they gave our full address. 13-year-old Brent, 14-year-old me, full address. Somehow it didn't seem dangerous for people to know that then. And, then. and then it says, The goldfish in the city park pond provided fascination for the younger set. Can't you just see some poor mother with a screaming toddler saying to her five-year-old, Yeah, honey, go play at the pond. Go look at the pretty fishes. And and Hansel and Gretel, Captain Hook, King Arthur, Pocahontas, and the Pied Piper, all in the same story? I mean, now we call that diversity. Then it was desperation. (laughs) Poor Miss Rosalie Jordan trying to have roles for 400 children in the same pageant. There was a picture along with the article, so I knew what I wore for my role. Green tights, a green sawtooth-edged tunic, a green soda-jerk hat with a little feather. I looked like a love child of Robin Hood and a Keebler elf. LAUGHTER For earlier pageants, I'd been in them since I was five. I'd worn a grass skirt for the salute to Hawaii, a top hat and cane for best of Broadway, and one patriotically themed year, I was the Statue of Liberty dressed in bed sheets with an electrified crown on my head and an electrified torch in my arm, standing on a float in the middle of that goldfish pond, long extension cords stretched out on floats behind me, connecting me back to the stage. Clearly, I was willing to risk my life, (laughs) certainly my dignity, for the pageant. Anything to prove my allegiance to 11th and Pike Playground. The big park across the street from the house where I grew up. The place where I spent every day of every summer of my childhood. When I was growing up, the city of Reading had a population, I don't know, maybe 100,000 people. It was a booming industrial town. People worked in the Reading Railroad, worked in the steel factories, the knitting mills, the pretzel factories, the outlet stores. There were three colleges. It was the county seat. There were lots of families, lots of kids. And the city of Reading sponsored 44 playgrounds all over the different neighborhoods, all over town. Some of the playgrounds were just tiny little triangular-shaped green spaces, some, like 11th and Pike, were a full city block square. And the city would hire teachers, that's what they called them, teachers who were mostly college students, usually women, but a few men who were generally education majors and needed a summer job. And so the city would hire these teachers to come and implement a 10-week program of activities that were planned out, same activities in all 44 playgrounds across town, every bit of it free to any kid who showed up. We didn't have summer camp, we had the playground. The teachers were there from nine in the morning until five in the afternoon, five days a week, 10 weeks every summer. We had sports, we had games, we had contests, oh, baby picture contest. fattest baby, hairiest baby, baldest baby. <laughs> salt and pepper shaker contest. You remember all those weird salt and pepper shakers, little pilgrims, little pigs. Storytelling contests where I got my start at age five telling Clever Gretel, a folk tale I still remember and for which I won a blue ribbon. The fact that I was the only kid competing in my six and under age group (laughs) kind of improved my aunt. We learned folk dancing at the playground. Kids at all 44 playgrounds learned the same circle dances and partner dances from Sweden, Austria, Denmark, England, from all over the world. Or at least all over the world we knew anything about, which was basically Western Europe. There were no South American sambas, no kalinda from the Caribbean, but we did learn the three-person Norwegian mountain dance Under goes number one, two follows number one, three follows number two, stamp, 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 stamp. (laughs) I don't know if you can tell, but that's supposed to evoke the idea of Scandinavian mountain goats cavorting on a hillside above the fjords. (laughs) We learned the shoemaker's dance. Wind the bobbin, unwind the bobbin, pull Tap, tap, tap. We might not have known anything about Norwegian mountain goats, but we knew about shoemakers. Because there was a shoemaker there in the neighborhood, Mr. Antonelli. He had a little half circle of white hair and wore a leather apron. He kind of looked like Geppetto in Pinocchio. And he had a little shop at Mulberry and Pike, just half a block away from the playground, a little dark shop that had worn wooden floors that smelled of shoe polish and leather. And there was a sign in the front window advertising, Cat's Paw Rubber Heels with a Vacuum Action Gripper. (laughs) Good shoes then were good shoes. And you got them repaired as soon as they started to show wear. And when you'd go to pick them up, he would hold them out to you. Turn them. So you could admire his work from all sides. And they were shiny with a shine like you couldn't get polishing them yourself at home. Inside the shop, there was an upside-down metal form of a foot. And awls and bobbins. And so we knew what those things were. And when we sang that song and did that dance, we could think of Mr. Antonelli in his leather apron, winding the bobbin and unwinding the bobbin, pulling and pulling. Tap, tap. We practiced those folk dances faithfully because on the Thursday night of the first week of August, there was a city-wide folk dance event. 500 kids from 44 playgrounds gathered in City Park at one end of Penn Street, the main street in town. We would all be there in our little vests and aprons that proudly identified which playground we were from. At 11th and Pike, the boys had little red vests. The girls had aprons shaped like a little white heart with a ruffled red edge. Our teachers would line us up two by two, and then we would march down Penn Street following the Reading Community Band. Six old guys sitting in folding chairs in the back of a pickup truck that (laughs) creaked down Penn Street. (laughs) Those guys played El Capitan. The John Philip Sousa march I can still hear. They played that over and over and over, so that 500 little folk dancers could make their way down to Sixth and Penn, the big intersection in the middle of town. We would fan out, take our places. The band would strike up the Norwegian Mountain Dance. Under goes number one, two follows number one. The parents cheering from the sidewalks. The teachers urging us on. Bobby, over there. Your partner is over there. The judges in the grandstand deciding who would win first place, second place, third place. Honorable mention for best behaved. Most participants. Most improved from last year. We had a Bible story man at the playground. He came on Thursday afternoons. This little skinny guy had slick back hair. He wore a white short-sleeved shirt, skinny black necktie, thick black-rimmed glasses. Miss Polishak, who was our teacher, three years running, would round us kids up, and we would sit on the picnic tables, not at the picnic tables, on the picnic tables, butts on the table, feet on the benches, and we'd watch the Bible story man set up his flannel board easel with a piece of thick cardboard covered in pale blue flannel and then he'd take out his action figures <laughs> the cutout shapes of Daniel and the lion or Abraham and Isaac or Joseph and his brothers or David and Goliath and they were backed with blue flannel too so that they would stick to the background and he could add and subtract Philistines as needed. <laughs>
2: It's flannel board, Bible stories, folk dances from other lands, and all kinds of other great stuff going on under the tutelage of teachers at the playground when Dolores Hydock was a kid that story again is called uh, Pied Pipers at the Playground and it's far from over we're going to bring you the rest of that story in just a little bit here but first we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with a story called Miriam and the Saxophone a story that will resonate with you if you've ever had to learn to play a musical instrument as Karen Golden did you won't want to miss a word it's coming right up I'm Sam Payne
0: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard the beginning of a story called Pied Pipers at the Playground, a story by Dolores Hydock about all kinds of wonderful activities in which she and her fellows participated at the playground when they were kids. Everything from Bible stories on a flannel board, to folk dance rehearsals, to, well, all sorts of stuff. And We're going to bring you the rest of that story in just a little bit. But first, we want to bring you a terrific story called Miriam and the Saxophone. This is Karen Golden telling you the story, and we're happy to bring it to you here on The Appleseed.
0: When I was eight years old, I decided to play the saxophone. I was quite pleased with my decision until one day I was walking home from school with that heavy case dragging at my side, and my girlfriend said, Why do you play the sax? It's so big and loud. You should have played the flute or the clarinet. It's much more ladylike. They're right, I thought. I should quit. But I plugged along and tuned into my inner voice, which whispered, The sax is great. Don't quit. My inner voice usually worked, but not on Wednesdays. That's the day I took private lessons with my teacher, Mr. Perkins. One Wednesday, just before our spring concert, He stood in my living room with his tousled brown hair and slightly wrinkled suit. Make sure to round out your scales like this. And I played like this. Why don't you stand a little straighter like this? Okay. That's enough for today. Practice your scales, and I'll see you next week. He put his saxophone in the case and walked out the door. Ew! My mom yelled from the kitchen where she was making dinner. Honey, that wasn't so bad. It almost sounded like music. She could tell from the sound of my voice that I needed some extra encouragement. So she came into the living room, sat down on the maroon, needle-pointed piano bench. Did I ever tell you the story of Moisha and the violin? Well, once there was a young man named Moishe, and he played his violin on the street. She told me this incredible story. Thanks, Mom! (coughs) Hey, it does almost sound like music. (coughs) I didn't quit playing the saxophone, and little by little, I got better. Once, when I was in high school, I was practicing my solo for a concerto competition. Oh, no! Mom, I keep making mistakes. I'm so frustrated. Besides, they'll never pick a saxophonist to play with the orchestra, and this is too scary. My mom came into the living room. I know I've told you this story before, dear, but I'd like to tell it again. It's the story about Moisha and the violin. Yeah, yeah, Mom, I've heard this one at least a hundred times. And I've heard it at least a hundred and one times, dear, and it still works for me. My mom got this far-off look on her face, and then she said, In 1932, I was standing on the front porch of my house. I was getting ready to go off to medical school. My mama was stuffing a few more odds and ends into my suitcase, and Papa was waiting patiently in the car. I was scared to walk down the steps. There weren't many women who went to medical school back then. My mama put her arm around me. She was so much shorter than I was. I looked down on her smiling face. I know you're scared, she said. But let me tell you a story. Once, there was a man named Moisha, and he played. I said, Mama, I've heard that story so many times, as I did. And my mama got a twinkle in her eye. In 1889, I was standing on a dock in Lithuania, waiting to board a ship bound for America. Here I was on the dock, and there was this little gap of water between me and the boat. I needed to jump over the water, but I had spielkes, nervousness. I knew leaving was the right decision, but I also knew I would never come back to my village. My mamma took me by the hand and said, I have a little something for you, a little tale about Moshe and his violin. That story worked. I stepped on the boat and came to America. I married Papa, we had you, and here you are going to medical school. I'm so proud of you, dear. My mom smiled and said, And the story worked for me, honey. I became a doctor, married dad, and here you are playing the saxophone. And so well, I must add. So today, I would like to give you a gift from my family to yours. But before I do, I must admit that I never heard the story as Moshe and the violin. I always heard it as Miriam and the saxophone. In a small town in Russia, there lived a young girl named Miriam. She was plain. Her hair was brown, her eyes were brown, and she always wore brown dresses and brown shoes. She walked the streets unnoticed. That is, until she stood on the corner, pulled out her shiny brass saxophone, and began to play. People gathered from far and near to hear her music. It was unlike anything they had ever heard. The crowds would say, This is the most beautiful music. Play, play. And Miriam played. One day... A young man came to Miriam and said, How would you like to play with the great orchestra from Kiev? They will be playing in our orchestra hall this evening. I would like that very much, said Miriam. She serenaded the young man as he walked away to ask the conductor if it would be okay. A few minutes later, he returned with a wide smile on his face. The orchestra conductor thinks it will be a fine idea if you join them this evening. Miriam could hardly contain her joy. Thank you, thank you, she said, putting her saxophone in the case. She ran to the orchestra hall. Meanwhile, inside the orchestra hall, the conductor was getting ready to tune up the orchestra. He stood on the podium and slicked back his hair, adjusted his waxed mustache, smoothed out his tails and caught his reflection in his black patent leather shoes then he tapped his baton on a music stand violins please good good violas marvelous cellos Exquisite. Basses. Perfect. Trumpets. Marvelous. Timpani. Fine, fine, very fine. Saxophone. A saxophone. Oh, here I am. Miriam arrived just in time. I guess that'll do for now. After the orchestra was tuned, the doors to the orchestra hall opened, and the people from Miriam's little neighborhood filled in the first two rows of seats. They were so proud to see their Miriam on the great stage. The lights went down. The orchestra began to play. And miriam began to play. got a scowl on his face and he looked right at Miriam. She continued to play. When the conductor scowled, the orchestra scowled. And when they scowled, the audience scowled. Miriam continued to play as if nothing was wrong. Then the conductor cut off the orchestra and said, Miriam, you're playing the wrong piece of music. Miriam continued to play. she was playing. A strange sound was heard in the auditorium. E- <sighs> the ceiling was opening. Above the ceiling were billowy white clouds, and they were parting. <sighs> Above the clouds was a deep, deep blue sky, and it opened. Ah! <sighs> And way, way up in the sky, farther than anyone had ever seen, was an orchestra playing exactly the same tune as Miriam. And she continued to play. Asked my mom what orchestra was playing up there, and she said, It's the great celestial orchestra of the sky. What happened next? My mom looked at me with a glimmer in her eye and said, The people in the orchestra hall heard that orchestra for a brief moment, but then they saw the sky close, the clouds gather and the ceiling rejoin itself. As for Miriam, she heard that celestial orchestra for the rest of her life.
2: Uh, There are so many things to love about that story by Karen Golden, Miriam and the saxophone. I always love a story about how stories can come to the real life rescue of somebody who's having trouble, as Karen is having with the saxophone when she was a kid. You know, we told you that we were going to bring you the rest of that Dolores Haddock story that we started the hour with, the story Pied Pipers at the Playground, and we are. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be back with the rest of that Story. Dolores Hydock coming up right here on the Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne.
0: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story from Karen Golden, a story about how stories can come back and save us in times of trouble. A story called Miriam and the Saxophone. What a delight it was to hear that Tale. At the top of the hour, we played you the beginning of a story from Dolores Heidach called Pied Pipers at the Playground about all kinds of activities that Dolores participated in as a little kid at her local playground. Everything from pageants to parades to folk dance rehearsals to listening to a Bible teacher tell Bible stories with a flannel board. In fact, that's what was happening when we left the story. We're going to bring you the rest now, just as Dolores has described sitting around and listening to those. Bible stories. We'll pick up the story. You know, you may remember Bible stories told on a flannel board. I know I do. So I'm excited to hear along with you the rest of Pied Pipers at the Playground from Dolores High Dock here on The Appleseed.
1: Sometimes the Bible story man would just about be ready to start when the Hershey's milkman would come through. The Hershey's truck Tan trucks with dark chocolate brown lettering. It would pull up slowly through the street that ran through the middle of the playground. We kids would jump off the picnic table, run over, hand over four sticky brown pennies, and get a half pint wax-coated carton of chocolate milk. Then you would jump back on the picnic table, listen to the story, and when the story was done and the Bible story man was packing up to go, you'd jump back off the table, put that empty milk carton down on the ground. You've done this. <laughs> Do it with me. You lift up one foot, come down hard, done just right, those milk cartons would explode in an artillery barrage. Pop, 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 pop. Appropriate punctuation for the violent Old Testament story we just heard. (laughs) We had arts and crafts, arts and crafts at the playground. We made wicker baskets. We made lanyards. We had puppet shows with hand puppets made out of brown paper bags. Then the playground year came to a close the second week of August with a double-barreled extravaganza in City Park. On Friday night, the pageant. On Thursday night... The Lantern Parade. We worked on making those lanterns all summer long. Starting in June, we would head out to the diners and sandwich shops and beg the owners of those stores to please save up their empty ice cream cartons for us. You know those big, round, three-gallon cardboard cartons? We'd save them up. Then mid-July, all other arts and crafts were suspended so we could work on the lantern. First, you had to cut designs out of the side of the carton. Stars, diamonds, triangles, something more elaborate if you could do it. Designs cut out with razor blades. <laughs> Not cut by Miss Polishak or one of the other teachers. No, by us. Eight, nine, ten year old kids wielding single edge razor blades gleefully cutting into the thick cardboard in our laps. Those of us who ended that part of the project with the ten fingers and eight pints of blood we started with would then paint the lanterns with probably lead-based paint. Then you would take colored pieces of tissue paper and glue them on the inside to cover the cut-out spaces, making a kind of stained-glass effect. Then to provide light for the lanterns, you would take a candle. (laughs) You've done this, right? One of the many one-inch diameter candles that mothers all over the neighborhood had not yet discovered were missing from dining room table centerpieces. You would light the candle. Every eight-year-old kid had a book of matches. You would drip the hot wax on the bottom of the carton, then stick the candle in that oozy, wet puddle of wax and let it harden around the candle so it would stand up straight. Then you'd loop wire through the two holes drilled at the top of the lantern to make a handle, and then you would store that lantern in the basement of the field house. One down. (laughs) Ninety-nine to go. (laughs) As long as I could remember... 11th and Pike never fielded any fewer than 100 lanterns. (laughs) On the night of the lantern parade, 1,200 children from 44 playgrounds would gather at one end of City Park, ready to march along the pathways to the other end of City Park. We would begin just after dusk. The parade would start, and we would start to glide silently through the deepening dark. Swinging our candlelit cardboard cartons, <laughs> tissue paper three inches from an open flame.
3: <laughs>
1: About every twenty feet, there were Boy Scouts. They actually called them fire beaters. They were armed with heavy blankets, ready to extinguish any lanterns or children who caught on fire. It was easy to recruit the teenage boys for that job. I mean, there was always the prospect of watching some little kid go up in flames. My best friend at the time was Sandy Michael. She lived five houses down from us. Sandy was the only kid I knew who did not sweat. <laughs> Sandy never got that little greasy gray line of dirt and sweat that collects there in the crease of your neck. She'd just get little tiny drops of perspiration on her upper lip. But she was my best friend. And sometimes we wouldn't do the planned activities at the playground. We'd just hang out. We might ride the swings, not the baby swings in the tot lot. And not swings like kids have now those thick rubber thongs that squeeze your thighs up into your kidneys. Not only can you not fall out of those swings, you cannot get out of those swings. We had real swings. You remember the long wooden planks, the long metal chain that you could kick up really high. You fell off those swings a lot. (laughs) But what a ride. Sometimes Sandy and I would swipe some wax paper from our mother's kitchen so that we could grease the metal sliding board. How many of you did that? Would stand on either side of the bottom of the metal sliding board. You take that wax paper, rub it, rub it, rub it, rub it, as high up as you could reach. Make it really, really slippery. Then you climb the 26 steps to the top. Sit on a fresh piece of wax paper. Make it good and slick all the way down. And then when you hit that really slippery spot at the bottom, you would whoosh off in a graceful arc. And if you were lucky, you landed on your feet and not on your face in the asphalt that surrounded the slide. (laughs) Metal sliding board in the full sun. 26 steps high, surrounded by asphalt. single edged razor blades. Lead-based paint. Open flames. We baby boomers did not realize it, but our parents now deeply regretted their post-war passion. They were trying to kill us! (laughs) But if you made it through, if you survived the Darwin challenge of childhood. (laughs) You had learned the arc of geometry, the friction coefficient of wax on a metal surface, the dark theology of the Old Testament, and where Norway was. (laughs) And thanks to the pageant the year I was 14, I had learned the story of the Pied Piper. And so now, now as I was preparing my own 10-minute version of that story, I went back and read the long poem. I read the version by the Brothers Grimm. I went back and read the history of Hamelin town. Learned how that story, written centuries ago, was probably, like so many folk tales, so many legends, was probably a way to try to explain something that really happened. A way to explain why so many of the children disappeared in the 1300s. The children were taken away, not by a piper, but by the plague that river of sickness and death that ravaged that town like it ravaged so many other towns in those dark times. But who wants to hear that story? Who wants to tell that story? And so a story about a magical piper who took the children away to a magical place, maybe that was a kinder way to explain something that was too painful to explain any other way. A kind Magical Pied Piper, I thought. What if what if that's who he was? That was possible. And so in my ten minute version of the story, that is who he was, a kind, magical Pied Piper who took the children away not out of revenge, but out of love. Took them away from the tedium of their little town so that they wouldn't grow up to be hard and cynical like the town officials, but instead would have a chance to grow up to be the kind of people who kept their promises, who paid what was owed. A kind, magical Pied Piper. That was easy for me to imagine, because my childhood had been populated wall to wall with magical Pied Pipers who were never paid what they were worth. Never got the thanks they deserved. Miss Polishak, the other teachers, making summer days sweet for sweaty little kids. The Bible story man who week after thankless week tried to plant a little mustard seed of faith in our grimy little hearts. The Reading community band playing El Capitan in an endless loop so that 500 folk dancers could keep in step. They were all Pied Pipers taking us away from the tedium of summer days to a magical place, to Norway with the goats, to Mount Moriah with Abraham, to Broadway and Hawaii, a merry journey full of puppet shows and paper lanterns and dancing in the streets. We were kids, and they let us be kids. Let us escape the confines of Reading, PA, with its railroads and factories, and let us live for just a little while in a magical world where Hansel and Gretel, Captain Hook, King Arthur, Pocahontas, and the Pied Piper could all be in the same story. And why not? In those dreamy, innocent childhood days, thanks to the Pied Pipers in our lives, anything was possible. Thank you.
2: Piper's at the Playground, a story told by Dolores Hidock here on the Appleseed. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the campfire or the living room. And listening to the story about Karen Golden, about learning to play the saxophone, and listening to Dolores Hidock talk about some of the activities that characterize her childhood at the Playground has me lost in a memory. How about an entry in the Radio Family Journal?
0: The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed.
2: My mother was always hatching plans. I'd come into the kitchen of our tiny house when I was a kid, and I'd see her at the kitchen table, sketching on a piece of paper what looked like a floor plan. And I'd ask her to tell me about what she was drawing, and she'd explain that it was an idea for the house. She'd point with the tip of her pencil to the place where she planned to add bedrooms for each of us boys. We all shared a room the way the house was arranged back then. Or the second bathroom off the main bedroom that she planned to add. a picture window that would look out on the mountains. And those drawings were always very magical to look at, very wonderful to dream about together. And I'd ask her when we were going to make the things she drew on those papers filled with plans. And her answer was always the same. When our ship comes in, when our ship comes in, we'll build these things. My mom was a planner. And the truth is, when I left for college... The little house was pretty much the same as it had been all the time I was growing up. No extra bedrooms, no second bathroom, no picture window. But some of my mom's plans were different. They flew off the planning pages and into the lives of, well, of everyone in town. I'll explain. My mom had this dream of a city-wide music camp in our small town. For a week in the summer, families would carve out a week together, and each morning of that week, they'd gather at the city park to have breakfast together, mostly donuts and juice. And then every member of every family would go to their morning music class, some music experience held in someone's home or backyard somewhere in town. You might, for example, go sing in a youth choir, or you might sign up to be in a short musical theater production, or you might go and hear a recital from a world-renowned pianist or guitarist in the living room of one of your neighbors, and there were a dozen experiences to choose from, and then everyone would get back together for a musical lunch, say grilled hot dogs by a swimming pool with Handel's water music playing in the background, or maybe a short hike to a waiting picnic lunch in a bluegrass band. Then, in the afternoon, everyone would go to their afternoon music classes. And finally, in the evening, everyone would gather for a concert. And this would happen every day for a whole week. And then, at the end of the week... There would be a festival all afternoon and evening in which everyone performed what they'd been learning during the week. The children's folk dance class would perform, and the adult Baroque choir, and the teen musical theater troupe, and the town orchestra, and the Hayride band. And then, after a week's worth of terrific musical experiences, everyone would go home and look forward to doing it again next summer. It was an enormous plan, but it happened it happened and it was called Music Fusion the musical summer camp of all musical summer camps. One Music Fusion year I acted and sang in an abbreviated version of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown Another Music Fusion year my brother and I sang Brush Up Your Shakespeare from Kiss Me Kate My dad directed the Baroque Choir for Grown Ups My brother's pal Jared Crapo wrote a theme song for the whole music camp. Strong high Hikers climbed the local mountain peaks with international piano competitors in from China, guided by the local piano teacher. And lesser hikers hiked the gentle trail to Schoolhouse Springs, where we had sandwiches and a cowboy crooner sang, Hey, good looking, what you got cooking? How's about cooking something up with me? to my mom. It happened. This plan of my mother's and the whole town was filled with music fusion for a week in the summer for a couple of summers running. It was an enormous team effort, of course. None of us will ever forget it. Well, many years have passed since then. My mother walks every day with Cosmo, the old black Labrador that she and my stepdad rescued from the shelter a dozen years ago, but my mom's life has generally mellowed into a state of gentle rest, a state of reflection, and I imagine, I have to imagine, that she may sometimes think of her life in terms of those drawings she made at the kitchen table all the time I was a child those drawings that never got turned into bedrooms or bathrooms or picture windows. I know I'd tend that way. I know there would be days when I could only see what I had wanted to do but hadn't done. It's awfully tempting sometimes to measure our lives in terms of the plans we made that were not realized. And in those moments, I hope she and that all of us can have the sensitivity to hear the chorus of voices telling the story of the plans that did come into being, springing from the pages to fill the world around us with the kind of life and magic that only we possess, leading the people we love on the adventure to which only we know the way, helping the people around us to find and sing the song that only we can inspire.
0: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne a tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the Appleseed
3: Thanks
2: for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. It's been such a pleasure to bring you stories from Dolores Hydock and Karen Golden today. We want to wrap up with one more little thing. This is a song by a longtime friend of the Appleseed, Andy Offutt-Irwin, a wonderful storyteller and also a terrific songwriter, too. This is a song born of reverence for those moments when we can get together and tell and listen to stories together. The song is called Terry Here. Andy Offutt-Irwin on the Appleseed.
4: This is an old song, I do it all the time Tarry here Where the stories never go old And you hear something new every time They are told and it comes clear To tarry here Where it doesn't matter your age And when we gather round the table We all take the stage year after year Harry here We're living now and we're all in this place So be sure to smile At each passing face As it draws near And Harry here And then We all will see The me and you, the you and me And as we Leave these grounds We can rejoice in what we found, so tarry here, with Catherine, Sid, Jackie, and Doc, and when we tell their tales, we stop the clock, I know they're here, they're tarrying here. The stories never go old And you hear something new Every time they are told And it comes clear to tarry here
2: of Irwin, with Terry here. You know, if any of the stories that we've brought you today have sparked memories or thoughts for you to share, well, the best thing you can do is share them with the people that you love around the living room or the kitchen table or the campfire. The second best thing you can do is send them to us. Drop us an email at theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. This hour was written by Alyssa Minguranzi. Our producer is Jeff Simpson. Our sound engineer is Stuart Foster. I'm Sam Payne. Pleasure to have you with us, we'll see you next time.
1: Thanks for joining
0: us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The
3: Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.